Hey everybody, it's Todd Dills here with our annual Overdrive Radio Year in Review. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thanks for hanging in with us through yet another big year for trucking as an owner-operator. One with absolutely huge challenges for sure, and we'll hear about a lot of them again today, but hopefully, by the end, there's something that sparks a new idea, urges you on to completion of an old goal with new rigor, with new vigor. Anyhow, thanks again. Enjoy this countdown to 2023. 2022 was a big one for Overdrive Radio. Thanks to longtime contributor and trucker songwriter Long Haul Paul Marhofer and the pros at Muscle Shoals Music Marketing, we got an updated theme. You're hearing that now, of course, in the form of Marhofer's Legend of the Snake Man. We also got the nod for best podcast from the business journalism folks behind the Jesse H. Neal Awards earlier in the year. That wouldn't be possible, of course, but for the very fact of you, the listeners, the stories told by so many among you that aired throughout the course of this year. For this edition of Overdrive Radio for December 30th, 2022, we're going to count down to 2023 top 10 episodes that garnered the most ears throughout the year, with an extra 5-2 that got quite close to that top 10 cut. Honorable mentions, as it were. We hear about double brokering and other freight fraud and lax enforcement to combat it, thus it's de facto enabling, as it were. There is uh, provisions in the federal statute that says that the government, on behalf of the public, can go after a fraudster and charge him and anybody else involved in the fraud up to $10,000 per violation. Now, armed with that kind of support, if we had an activist agency, uh, we could certainly make some examples of some of these uh, these scams and police the industry. But uh, the, uh, the FMCSA has uh, no appetite for that. We'll hear a variety of perhaps unpopular opinions about regulations. If there is one way that we need to be leveling the playing field, which is this, you know, uh, this hot ticket term, training is where we need to do it. Someone that has a proven record should be able to make their own decisions. And plenty in the way of brass tacks, owner-operator business advice and analysis. Generally speaking, when we get a really boom freight market, it lasts six, nine, maybe 12 months at most. Um, have to be the businessman first and then you're the, the trucker second. Because you have to do what makes sense in business if you want to stay. <laughs> it was certainly a wild year as my colleague Alex Lockie's year in brief yesterday made plenty clear. For all the guests in the podcast, 2022 was no more both difficult and perhaps fortunate than it was for 2022 small fleet champ contender Brian Stoll of Super Highs Trucking. She's starting to put the 12 lead on me for to do an EKG. Before she finished getting all those leads on me, she knew the type of heart attack I was having. And she's like, I've seen this before. I know exactly what you're having. This is not good. She said, if if we go to the hospital in town, which was literally a mile and a half away, 
and went there first and went through their intake process, I would have never made it. A couple of quick thinking professionals, in other words, saved Brian Stoll's life. Your heart is like the engine of a truck. It only has so many revolutions. In it. it only has so many beats. Stoll's own heart beats on, I'm happy to say. We exchanged a few messages just this week. Recovery has gone well, but is ongoing, he says. At once, he's feeling hopeful about the prospects for full recovery. My hope's right there with his. After a quick break for this word from the Howes Company, Overdrive Radio's sponsor, we'll dive right back into Stahl's story to get this countdown rolling. When you have a diesel emergency, you don't have time to wait around for 911. Instead, call your lifeline. How's Diesel Lifeline? The only emergency rescue product to reliquify gel fuel and de-ice frozen fuel filters without the use of harmful alcohol. Always safe to use, you can pour it directly into your fuel filters without wasting time mixing it with additional diesel fuel. So this winter, if you find yourself stuck in a bind, skip the tow. Get yourself back on the road fast with Howe's Diesel Lifeline. For more information, visit howesproducts.com. That's H-O-W-E-S, howesproducts.com. Leave a message on our podcast line with your name and mailing address, and I'll send you a bottle of Diesel Lifeline. With the weather this past week, and no doubt more to come this winter, could be your truck's ticket back to rolling. That's 615-852-8530. Leave your name and mailing address there, and we'll get it to your doorstep. Okay, here we go. You know, for every wrong, there was a right that went along with it. So the day was a normal day, normal at-home day, dispatching trucks, um, dealing with trucking problems as they arise, putting fires out. We had a business meeting that evening, and um, we had one driver that we just hired in town that we had put up in the hotel. We were just waiting for the truck to, couple mechanical issues with the truck to get finished, just finished up, you know? Right. So we could get them in the truck going, so. And there was a spot for him to come out to the supper club with us for our meeting. So we, we invited him along and gave him a really nice prime rib dinner as we do almost every new hire, you know, we, we like to take them out and say, hey, when you're in town, you may not get anything from us during driver appreciation week, <laughs> but when you're in town, we'll take care of you. Yeah. You know, you come through town, we take you out, take you out to the supper club, get your real nice dinner, crab legs, prime rib, whatever you want, put right. you up in the hotel, you know, you need to do shopping, we'll take you shopping. You know, it's little things like that. Take them out for breakfast. You know, I think that is more important than, oh, once a week or once a year during driver, here's $25. You know, no, that's almost embarrassing to do stuff like that. You know, so we went out to dinner. 
I had a nice prime rib, real good dinner. Afterwards, we finish up our meeting. We go to stop over at Walmart quick for a couple minutes and come home. Just another day. It's about eh, 7.30 in the evening. I'm laying down because I get up. I, I start my day about four in the morning, five in the morning. So early to bed, early to rise, right? Right, right. So I'm laying in bed. I was just getting ready to doze off and our dispatcher called. And we normally talk at, you know, the end of the day, every day, just to kind of catch up and, you know, make sure everybody's on the same page and make plans for the next day. Well, he called. Uh, so we're talking. And after a couple minutes, I, I had this little, little tinge in my back, you know, just a little sore back, but it's up, up between my shoulder blades, which after breaking my back and having a spinal fusion many years ago, this is not something that is out of the ordinary. Right. Um, every once in a while, if I either do too much during the day, or if I'm lazy for two days and just laying around for two days, I will get muscle spasms because of the, I still got hardware in my back and stuff like that, you know? So yeah. it, it gives you back problems along the way, but nothing a couple ibuprofen don't fix. So that's kind of what I thought was going on. I just kind of sore. I'm like, okay, well, I was uncomfortable and I'm like, all right, well, let me see if I can find a tennis ball put up on the wall and right. get my back up against it and massage these muscles. I couldn't find it. I'm like, all right, well, next best thing, let's go get some ibuprofen and we'll get some of that in, in my system and it'll, it'll slowly relax the muscles and we'll be fine. Well, I never did get a chance to take the ibuprofen. Some of the symptoms with having a heart attack, you know, it's, sore back, sore chest. It's not very often to where a heart attack is that TV chest clinching pain, right? You, right? That's not really one of the things. I mean, if you're to that point to where you're clinching your chest because of a heart attack, you're pretty much on death's doorstep at that point. Um, your heart's pretty much stopping. Um, but it's all the tiny little signs and symptoms prior to that, that you really got to be aware of. And they're very, or they can be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of vague. Yes, yeah. Attributable yeah. to a lot of other things, as you're saying. Right. With the back Absolutely. Yeah. Like my sore yeah. back, you know, yeah. like I said, that's how it started. And I'm like, well, this is kind of turning into a, major muscle spasm. Brian Stahl tells the rest of the story of that fateful night for him, with huge implications for him and his almost 10-truck business in the podcast for September 23rd. His principal message? Do the hard work through the years to keep healthy, and listen to what your body is telling you, no doubt. The same month, ATBS Vice President Mike Hosted presented his typical mid-year benchmarking analysis based on cost, revenue, and bedrock income averages for owner-operators among ATBS business services clientele. This year, that analysis featured a big reckoning with increased costs throughout the first half of the year, even as spot market freight fell back and rates tanked there. 
Plenty of owners had moved back to leasing with larger carriers for better faring contract rates and, generally, the revenue picture was up. All of it was offset by increased costs. Not just fuel either, as we know. Starting in May, um, things got a lot tougher to be in the spot market. And so what we, what we last saw two, three weeks ago was there were only 65 loads per one truck looking for, for freight, and rates had gone down to 283. Well, since I put this slide together two weeks ago... Hosted was speaking just about two weeks back from the date of this podcast's airing on September 30th, 2022. The dynamics he's about to describe here have only continued since as well. It's fallen even further. So now there's about 55 loads per one truck looking for a load, and rates have gone down to about 263 in the spot market. And in the spot market, as most of you know, that's an all-inclusive rate. There's no fuel surcharge. That's baked into the rate. So um, rates have really fallen off in the spot market as of about May um, and continue to fall. So that really tells us that, you know, um, it's really shifted in the favor of the shippers and, and things have gotten a lot harder. We saw a huge migration of ICs going from a fleet to, you know, getting their own authority. And we, we're starting to see a migration back where those folks that, that went and got their own authority are struggling to get the rates they need. And that has caused a big migration back towards major motor carriers. Um, so that's big picture spot market. And then when we get more granular, what I did was I backed out the fuel surcharge. So again, the fuel surcharge is baked into it. So what I did was took the average from that time. Um, and, and really what you can see is again, in 2018, things were really good. After we subtract out the fuel surcharge, rates were about 222 a mile. 2019, as I said, things got really tough and it went down to about $1.70 after we backed out the fuel surcharge. Um, Early COVID rates were about $1.90. And then when things got really, really, really good, um, you know, at the peak there, we were seeing 250 rates even, even when we back out the fuel surcharge. But as of now, because of that high fuel cost, rates have gone down to 213. And again, since I put this together, they've actually fallen below $2 a mile in the spot market on an average rate. So the spot market's gotten considerably tougher recently. Um, and I know that you all, especially you all that run in the spot market have felt that, that pain. Um, so it's just it's just been a big dynamic shift. You know, I think the important thing to get out of this is that, you know, the last two years have been the best freight market we've ever seen. Generally speaking, when we get a really boom freight market, it lasts six, nine, maybe 12 months at most. Um, but because of what's happened, you know, in this COVID time and, and what, you know, all this capacity shortage, truck shortage, you name it, um, it lasted longer. So what normally happens is when freight gets really good, like it was the last two years, trucking companies go out and they buy a bunch of trucks, they hire a bunch of drivers, and they flood the market with capacity and trucks and, and things like that, which crashes the market and, and, and normalizes it and takes it back down. But because there were no new drivers, you couldn't go to school, because there were trucks that you couldn't buy, um, they were really expensive or they just weren't available because OEMs weren't putting them out, we really saw a big boom freight cycle that lasted considerably longer than what we normally see. Um, and so really what we're seeing in 2022 is things are really just normalizing right now. Um, it seems like it's bad, but it's not. It's normal. It's just things have been so good the last two years um, that we're, we've honestly kind of gotten spoiled. Um, so I know it's still kind of shifting downwards and we haven't you know, gotten to the exact equilibrium yet. Um, we don't know exactly where we are, but right now things are normal. And, and what I tell our clients and what I tell our trucking companies that we work with and everybody that I talk to is if you back out 2020 and 2021, if those didn't exist, 
we would still be in a pretty decent freight market right now. It's just things were so good that it seems like things are bad right now. The subsequent three and more months since that podcast aired may well tell a different story. Recent poll results at OverdriveOnline.com showed very dim expectations for business among owner-operator readers asked to assess the coming year. 45% of readers expected year 2023 business performance to fare worse than this year. Barely 1 in 10 readers thought things were looking better for them in the new year, for what that's worth. 2022 has been tough, but for Cap Trucking, small fleet owner Chris Porcelli, 2021 was an even rougher ride in some ways. Given twin disasters he detailed for Overdrive Radio listeners this fall, part of coverage of his business as a then-contender in Overdrive's 2022 Small Fleet Championship. Porcelli and Cap Trucking, as regular listeners will know, went on to win that award in October in the 3-10 truck division of this year's competition. Prior to the big win, though, his story of persistence and triumph over a stolen truck, the custom 389 flagship of the fleet, and a freight scam he's still in litigation over to this day, really turned a few ears his way. The thing was, the load had to pick up on a Friday, but it didn't deliver till Monday. And where he was loading to where he lives, I said, look, it would make a lot more sense if you just took the truck with you. Because at the time we were parking at this hotel, we knew the manager, et cetera. So it was real quiet. There was a a sheriff's station, like diagonally across the street, a hospital. I'm like, this can't be a terrible area. I was wrong. Um, He went there with the load, parked it. He wasn't, he checked on the truck that Sunday morning. By Sunday evening, the truck was gone. Uh, he he got in Monday morning, four or five o'clock, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning, let's say. And he called me and he said, the truck's gone. I'm thinking it got impounded. You know, I'm thinking like it got towed because they saw it at a, at a hotel. And I said, well, well, everything's gone. He says, no, the trailer's still here. The truck's gone. Wow. Well, then, then my antennas went up and he said, he almost started crying. He says, Chris, the GPS is on the grass. I just I just found it. Uh, so anyway, the hotel wound up playing back the security footage. And at the time, and even still to this day, there was there was a crew going around South Georgia, North Florida. They were driving um, a black Ford dually diesel pickup truck, all tinted out, had Texas license plates on it. Well, they wound up finding this truck and finding some sort of, you know, house that they were using somewhere in the woods of Florida. And it looked like a gone in 60 seconds wall of cars, except they were trucks. And they had pictures of guys that I know with beautiful, beautiful rides sitting there in truck stops and rest areas at receiving places. They had pictures of these trucks. And on there was a picture of two of mine. So I wound up using that information to tell a few of my friends, hey, like your truck's hot, like they they got you, you know, like watch yourself. And we were all on our, I mean, my guys were scared for a few weeks. I mean, nobody wanted to even drive or park the truck. They were scared, you know, being held up or, you know, whatever. So it was a scary time. And um, I, my, my wife was pregnant at the time. And uh, it was just a bad time for me. I, you know, I paid the truck off after four years of owning it. I got the truck and I didn't know this at the time, but I bought the truck on the day my grandfather passed away. 
Okay. So inside the truck, I had a plaque made where the Peterbilt, you know, side is and the passenger side of the uh, air ducts. And it said custom built for, and it had my grandfather's name on it. And um, I did that first run up to New York myself. And uh, my dad told me that he had passed away in the hospital when I got there. Oh, man. I got the truck. So I was like, man, you know, truck had a lot of sentimental value to me. Yeah. Uh, goes without say. Uh, we had put it in a few truck shows down here in Florida. I yep. had you know, put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, you know, the driver kept it clean. It was, you know, everybody knew me, knew that truck. Um, never recovered. Insurance offered me an insult of an offer on it. I said, you can keep your claim. I'm, I'm not going to even put that on my record for three years and be penalized for it because it's not going to buy the truck back. It wasn't even close to buying the truck. Porcelli turned to additional security in a two-key system, essentially, for all of his five trucks, in addition to other added security measures with the trailer's tracking system by Thermokine. Freight scam he suffered, too, redoubled his efforts on core business to effect. And that wasn't the only scam that saw air on Overdrive Radio and at overdriveonline.com throughout the year. The huge explosion of double brokering that's happened the last couple of years, too, was the subject of another most listened to podcast featuring transportation attorney Hank Seaton. Seaton feels the reality of how these entities take advantage of FMCSA's registration system to create otherwise legitimate seeming motor carrier and broker authorities just to misrepresent their way into a freight transaction and steal several hundred bucks at a clip. Seaton thinks there's a need for a dedicated task force to combat the issue, essentially within DOT and or the FMCSA. But there's plenty that conscientious motor carriers, brokers, and their shippers can do together to bat down some of the most egregious and expensive instances of fraud out there. When identity thieves successfully impersonate both carriers and brokers in the course of stealing cargo outright. What we have been working on is how do we address the criminal activity, but more importantly, how do we prevent it on the front end? And uh, those are the two things that uh, you know, we're trying to develop a coalition of like-minded people to, uh, uh, to address it. Uh, it involves sophisticated identity theft. And uh, I think my advice to whoever's listening here is when you get somebody at the end of the phone who says that I'm a household name broker, and he sends you an email, look at every letter of the email because they can change a domain yep. by adding or subtracting an S. Yep. And, you know, some of the major, uh, major reputable carriers in the country are having their stationery stole, stolen so that you think you're, you're booking this with a reputable person. Right. But somehow that doesn't occur. And at the presentation, I, I made it nastic. I took three examples of frauds. Uh, in one fraud, two very reputable major uh, broker slash carriers uh, ended up tender, tendering a uh, load to a fraudster who was supposedly a broker. He brokered the loads out to small carriers. The bills of lading at time of pickup did not even show the name of the carrier. Hmm. All of a sudden, they woke up uh, 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 about six, uh, I don't know, maybe three weeks later and realized these loads hadn't been delivered. When they started tracing them, it turned out they were copper wire. 
and the amount of the scam was over two hundred, over two point six million dollars. And uh, it, fortunately enough, the parties in, involved were big enough to eat that. But uh, as last I've heard, and we're now six months downstream, neither the FBI, the FMCSA, the state police. Nobody can find what happened to the copper wire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's humorous. If you look at those, if you look at those, those particular bills of lading, the logo names, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want to hammer on those guys. I mean, they were reputable, but they basically had their name on the bill of lading as the respective carrier. And these were brokers. Well, they were carriers slash brokers. Okay, okay, so I mean, you know, you couldn't tell from the bill of lading whether it was the carrier or the broker. But whoever was on the dock was uh, having some dude come in and say, I'm here to pick up pro number 1005 going to Hoppick, New York. And they put $250,000 worth of copper wire on the truck. Now, what happens is. Copper wire leaves El Paso, and the fraudster calls to truck Charlie and says, uh, "Look, that's been reconsigned. What, what, what do I need to pay you to have you take it to Chicago?" So all seven of these loads were reconsigned to an empty warehouse, and that's the last anybody has seen of the problem. So any way, any way you slice or dice that, that's larceny by fraud. Okay. And it's a big ticket, so you can see there how how the fraudster works, and you can also see that underlying it is the real problem that the carrier who was supposed to pick this up should have been saying why why are these logo carriers names on these bills? Yeah, I'm, I'm the doing yeah. I'm the carrier, yeah. and there is a law. Uh, don't have to have a bill of lading anymore, but you do have to issue a receipt for the goods. They show the origin, the destination, and the name of the carrier. So, I think, and you, you, uh, Todd, uh, you've been this a long time. Uh, from what we can see, well over two thirds, maybe three quarters, of the ship truckload shipments are picked up and delivered without the name of the pickup or delivery carrier. And the guy on the dock doesn't have to worry his pretty little head if the guy's got the right number. Well, the first thing in the supply chain protocol, changing this around, is we're suggesting that brokers and shippers put as part of their contract how the cow's going to eat the cabbage and provide that the bill of lading will reflect the name of the authorized carrier, and that the name of the authorized carrier at time of booking will be transmitted to the consignor, so the consignor knows who to expect. Right, right. And similarly, from a carrier's point of view, if you've once been burned by one of these things, you need to tell your truck driver that he's not Hank Seaton. He's Hank Seaton working uh, for Todd's Trucking, and that when he goes in, if Todd's trucking isn't on the bill of lading, and the bill of lading doesn't say send freight bill to uh, the broker, uh, to the he's got to, 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 well, no, I mean, it'll say 
it, it, it could say origin consonant or destination somebody else, but ordinarily in a bill of lading, you got a place to say, is it collect or is it prepaid or no. is it third party bill to? No. So my advice to the uh, to the conscientious broker is to direct that the bill of lading be made out so that the broker who's contracted with is shown as send freight bill to X who's responsible for payment and that the name of the authorized carrier appear on the bill. Now, you know, this is kind of pitch and catch. Seems simple, right? Yet, in practice, putting these procedures in place requires something of a return to the freight world that Seton details in the same podcast of the pre-internet days, when motor carriers, brokers, and shippers, in a much larger measure than is the case for most today, personally knew the people they were dealing with, not just a voice on the phone. And coordination between all parties was a given. To beat back the massive scale of double brokering and other identity fraud ongoing, those who are successful in that regard will necessarily be able to get back to that ideal. In some measure, anyway. Okay, last of the honorable mentions just outside the top 10 podcasts of the year featured the considered experience of compliance consultant Jeff Davis with Fleet Safety Services out of Ohio. A man who specializes in assisting small to mid-sized carriers through the federal audit process. He was seeing up close to the impacts of man versus machine dynamics of hours of service enforcement, the age, the electronic logging device. FMCSA and state partners are increasingly willing, he noted, to issue conditional safety ratings as a result of no more than hours violations. It's incumbent upon any motor carrier, whether one truck or many, many more, to effectively audit their records to prevent that. He told this story at the National Association of Small Trucking Companies annual conference about the log sample selected in an audit Davis helped handle. True story, client Chicago, 150 trucks, going through a compliance review. All right, they picked three drivers and luckily the auditor picked it on Friday. So the plan was we had to log in and password. So we were gonna go in and audit those three drivers. I got a phone call from the motor carrier. Hey, Jeff, we got a problem. What's the problem? Well, driver so-and-so was in the sleeper berth all month. <laughs> okay. Well, what happened the month before? Well, he was in the sleeper berth the month before. So to cut to the chase, how long? Well, if you go back six months, he's been in the sleeper berth. We already had the fuel. Well, he's bought 350 fuel purchases and you didn't sleep. He says, what do you think the DOT is going to say about that? I'm going to say, at least they can't get us for a fatigued driver, maybe hauling around a dead person, but they're not going to get us for being fatigued. That was 30 out of 90 false logs. The carrier would have gotten a conditional, but because of COVID and they hadn't changed the regulations where they could issue safety ratings off-site, I would sit there and said, I got you conditional, but I can't give it to you. Take this as fair warning to learn. So, and really tough the larger you get. Now for the countdown. At number 10, a podcast featuring small car hauling fleets Soza Trucking out west. As fuel tops $7 a gallon and owner C.G. Soza's native California and the Supreme Court's potential ruling on AB5, the state's contractor law, was imminent. 
The high court ultimately would in fact decline to hear California's trucking association's challenge to the law, holding import for C.G. Sosa's relationship with at least one leased on owner-operator in his five-truck fleet. More immediate for his concern, though, was the days prior spotting of a seven in the dollar column of a truck stop's diesel price sign in Madeira. Sosa was speaking here for an early June edition of the podcast with fuel about as high as it would go over the course of the year. It's tough. I mean, I, I, I don't know where, where it's going to finally end, when it's going to finally break. I mean, somewhere it's got to break. Um, I mean, realistically, it, it, at $6.50 to $7 a gallon, it's pretty much costing every truck out there a dollar a mile to run just for diesel. A dollar plus you know? in some and cases, yeah. Yeah, in some cases, a dollar plus. And it's like, you know, you, you have to take that into account. I mean, you know, you figure you do a 300 uh, mile run. I mean, <laughs> you take 300 bucks right off the top of that right now. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's harsh. Um, and I, I just, I keep, you know, inching my rates up little by little, you know, the, yeah. my customers have been pretty susceptible to it. They're like, you know, we understand, we get that. Um, the second round now that we're, we're high sixes, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot more pushback basically. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, you know, it's, it's it's out of my control, you know. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's not so much they don't understand, but I think they're just as much upset about it as, as we all are. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the trucking industry is gonna, you know, if you're hauling cheap freight, you're you're basically digging your own grave. It, there's no room for that anymore. And uh, we're gonna have, you know, probably a lot of guys unfortunately go out of business and, and you know, it's, it's gonna be a major hurt. Um, yeah. And then when things do break loose, then we're going to be even more of a truck driving shortage. And, you know, it, the guys who do make it through it, they're not going to be able to keep up. You know, it, it'll be kind of a, a, a feast or famine, and it's going to be a big feast at that point. And, you know, it, we're still going to have product issues getting through to, you know, to everybody. And, uh, you know, the, the supply chain you think is bad now, it'll be even worse uh, come come when that time comes. So. We're just riding it out. Um, I mean, that's why I've told my guys, you know, because they've asked me, what are we going to do? I'm like, we're just going to keep riding it out. I mean, you know, it's the point to where if we can't make money, we might as well park them. But, you know, that's not going to do anybody, anybody any good either. So we're, we're in a tough spot. Everybody's in a tough spot right now. You know, not just little guys, but big guys. I mean, it's 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 going to be real interesting what happens here in the next six months, you know, and I think it's going to come sooner than later. You know, I know people are saying it might be, you know, a year, but I'm. I'm thinking it's going to be a lot sooner than later, especially since we've already, you know, I've already seen $7 and 14 uh, cents a gallon for fuel here. We're here. We're, it, you know, it's, it's happening now. So getting through the summer will be real interesting. We'll, we'll have to keep our fingers crossed and, and see what happens. Part of what did happen was Sosa's second annual AJ Sosa Memorial Truck Show later that same month. Something of a sad for tough times. So was the case at truck shows all around the nation throughout the show season. At one of those shows earlier in the year, Overdrive Radio's own long-haul Paul Marhofer made the acquaintance of Kentucky headquartered professional driver Kobe Langham. Like Marhofer, also a songwriter and whose expertise dented the ears of many in the Overdrive Radio audience this summer. Number 9 in the podcast countdown selected parts of his Years on the Road EP and long-haul Paul's introduction of the artist and Downey and Sons company driver.
To the suits on the Capitol Hill Them all-American girls With all-American girls Have had their day In the sun and the rain Ever stumbled across recording artist on the web whose stuff was so good that you were left dumbfounded by the fact they weren't more widely known? Kobe Langham fits squarely in that category. But here's the icing on the cake. He's also a trucker. 2019 had been a banner year for Langham. His EP, Kobe Langham and the Citizen Band, Years on the Road, was being mentioned in the same breath as Tyler Childers' Country Squire and Sturgill Simpson's Sound and Fury by the publication Kentucky Country Music, which named his record one of the Commonwealth's ten best for 2019. Something seismic was going on in the bluegrass state. One writer had called it a country music insurgency, and artists like Sturgill Simpson and Tyler Childers were at the vanguard. But Langham was quietly making a mark of his own. A lot of it is, I would consider, honky-tonk music. Um, that's a lot of what I gravitate towards as far as what I listen to. I, I wanted it to, I, I just wanted it to sound like country well, the flowers music. flowers so I threw them out, but those pictures are still in the drawer. Like when somebody listens to it, I want them to think I'm listening to country music right now and a lot of the as far as the production um, and the the actual sound itself um, comes from my friend Tom Nato in Lexington who produced um, all the stuff we've done so far and he also played the all those steel guitar parts he as especially the first few things I did coming in as a completely green novice having no idea what I was doing. He was really good at um, directing me in the way I wanted to go without me feeling like he was taking over things. You know, it, he, he gave me a lot of um, help without um, taking control. You know, it, it, everything always came out sounding like I wanted it to sound. So Tom Nato was a big part of that. Also in that same podcast, Overdrive Executive Editor Alex Lockie, who joined our staff here at Overdrive just in 2021, made his Overdrive Radio debut with a talk featuring Arian Rule's story about his stunning 10 Dimes 1993 Peterbilt 379. Here's Rule responding to Lockie's question about his favorite part about the long custom rebuild of the rig. My favorite part of the truck is not even the truck itself. Um, it's the relationships built building the truck right uh, and that's why it's named 10 dimes you know, right. Al Capone said four quarters are better than 100 pennies 
uh, I'm fortunate enough to have 10 dives. You know, I, I got some really good people in my life that... And so for Rule, the truck stands as monument to those relationships forged through history in and around and under the piece of equipment. And what a piece of equipment it is. You can catch a few views of it in Alex Lockie's story about Rule at, the, at overdriveonline.com. Navigate to the custom rig section. When Lockie was speaking with Rule, he reflected on the upcoming wedding day the owner-operator had mentioned as a chance to truly feel and communicate the gratitude for a life well lived with all of those you know best and share it with the most. What Lockie didn't yet know? Yeah, that's, that's great. That's no way. That's here, we're getting married here. No way. Yeah, yeah we're getting married right on that finish line at 7 o'clock tonight. Are you kidding? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That was her idea. Fitting for the 2022 truck show season, no doubt. A big congrats to Arian Rule and his better half on their nuptials at the Gear Jammer Truck Show in Keene, New Hampshire. Number eight in the podcast countdown featured our 2021 small fleet champ, Jason Cowan, and his Henderson, Kentucky-based Silver Creek transportation business, recorded when I visited the small fleet in February. He took me through the office with a mind to detail just how a new hire might experience the small fleet to begin with. You'll also hear Silver Creek Safety Director Amber Jenkins in this selection from the talk about a culture of communication the small fleet owner has long labored to foster. When we bring a driver in, typically that's the first place they start. So we want to tell them our story because you know you know how it is when a driver comes in, hey, what, you, what do you pay, you know? And that's not what we're looking for. We've talked about that all that a million times. So we just begin to say, okay, here's our culture, where we started, yeah. you know, we kind of had this ball. I guess it kind of makes sense. <clears throat> it's what I call a storyboard, we, where we started, you know, what we're doing, and, you know, how, we, how we're making it happen, and uh, some of the things that, that we do. So what we do is we walk through the building, and, you know, we tell the, the story of, you know, where we came from, and what we did, and, you know, how we get back to the community. That's one of the things we talk about, you know, the FFA is one of the groups we spoke with at Zeb when he was high school, so... Uh, the local, the local uh, magazine did a story on us back in October about our trailers, the, you know, the trailers that we do for the different nonprofits. And so, you know, we kind of build that in as to, hey, this is what our culture cool. is. Because then we have Amber. I mean, you remember Amber? Yeah. Hey, Amber. Hi. Good to see you. And so Amber's the one that keeps us all, you know, one of the cool things that I learned years ago was that, you know, I'm not good at everything. You know, I think I am. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's good to have people that are good at what they do. And, because it's hard, you know, I, she's better at telling the driver, you have to do this than I am. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. She's like, he likes to be likable. Sure. <laughs> not, not so you, huh? <laughs> and it's, well, you know, it's, it, it's funny. We, everything, we just keep talking about it. Culture, you know, I just want to. And it's not perfect a lot of times, but I wish it was. But, you know, it's create a culture of that you're... I think one of the hardest things with these drivers is to get them to buy into the vision that you have, that they're not just here, not just to, you know... They... they Where it's more than words, right? Like it's... Uh, they will, let, let's say you have one, instead of them coming in and saying something to you, you know, they'll quit. And then you talk to them... Six months later, and like, oh, well, you know, I backed that trailer over a pole, and I thought y'all would be mad at me, so I, I got me another job before you fired me. But, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, we weren't going to, we, you know, we we talked about that yesterday. We had a trailer damaged, and it was damaged bad. 
and nobody said anything and so i told her so in part of her safety video this week is to say hey look yeah <laughs> you know and she actually put it in, we don't fire people for for tearing up equipment but we got to know the problem it could have been a safety yeah. issue it yeah. could have been a lot of things yeah. and so you know we we want you to tell us that and then i think i, I she didn't put on her but i put on it's better to have amber fuss at you for a minute and watch a video than to hurt somebody Another award winner was featured in what ended up being the number seven most listened to Overdrive Radio episode of 2022, owner operator of the year, Glenn Horak. Joined in this podcast by his wife and now fellow team operator, Carla. Horak, in the midst of higher than ever fuel prices, knocked on wood that his long history of profits would continue according to plan with retirement in sight. In the selection that follows, Glenn Horak harkens back to the last time fuel had been as high as it was for much of the year, and the huge recession that followed in the year 2008. His diligent approach to maintenance savings, productivity with his long career, mostly leased the prime out of Springfield, Missouri though, kept him in the black through all of it. The biggest testament to that is the Horak family you'll also hear much about in what follows. Knock on wood, I've been here. 30 years i've made every money every year except for 2008 when nobody in the industry made money we really didn't take a loss but it wasn't pretty i actually put a lot of fuel on credit cards that year that's when carla came out was that after that year that's when carla came to work and we got everything paid off and back on track how was the transition for carla um was this was it the first time she had uh, come out on the road as a as with the CDL? Yes, yeah, I trained her. Yeah, she she was working at Macy's before that, working at Macy's raising kids. How many children do you have? I got two, a boy and a girl. My son is he works for Mercy Hospitals in their IT department. And my daughter works for Peterbilt there in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, my son, he he lives with his girlfriend there. They bought a house together and stuff, and they've been together quite a while, so I don't see. Ain't neither one of them in a hurry to get married and things working like they are, so. And my daughter's a single mother. she got two biological kids and three adopted kids. So, yeah, they, she was married, and it was a bad issue, so. Okay. Now she's a single parent. Do you do you guys um, spend spend a fair amount of time with those grandkids? I imagine when you're home. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. I I hear it from my kids all the time. Oh, why didn't you spend money like that on us when we were kids? Well, I didn't <laughs> have it when you were kids. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back to that other time when money was in short supply, the 2008 year owner operator Horak mentioned earlier. Well. Glenn's longtime life and now driving partner then told her story of joining Glenn on the truck around the time. Partnership between the pair as extended into the professional realm with their trucking business and into the cab was sold in part by Glenn as a way the two could see some of the country together. Most places for the first time, if not for Glenn himself. That sales pitch, though, didn't always work out as advertised as husband and wife hauled to erase debt taken on during the financial crisis of the Great Recession. And remember, Carla Horak was working at Macy's immediately before she went out with Glenn to train and get her CDL, but this wouldn't be the very first time, anyway, that she piloted a large vehicle. 
Well, before I went to Macy's, I drove a school bus for a couple years. Okay. And uh, I uh, got fired for that job because the kids didn't like having to follow my rules and sit out and behave themselves. But uh, if you talk to a couple of the boys in the shop that rode my bus, they said, man, we liked you the best. So <laughs> go figure. But uh, yeah, when I quit there, then I went to Macy's. And I think I was there for eight or nine years. It was fun trying to, to follow his directions. <laughs> Such as out on the training pad, he was trying to teach me how to back. And his terminology and my terminology don't match. His come around with the steering wheel is like, no, I turn left or right. I don't know what come around means. That's, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't out here. I mean, I'd come out with them a couple of weeks, different times. Your mom would stay with the kids and I'd come out with him for a week or so. And the one year I went out with him, he had the dog house still. He had a, oh, that was absolutely horrible. I, no air ride seats. Um, I, I mainly sat up on the doghouse because it was more comfortable to sit in the passenger seat. And I said, no, not till you get a different truck. Hauling in that cab over at the time, for Glenn, it marked his brief turn from Prime in his early days there to Dart Transit out of Egan, Minnesota. which didn't last very long at all before he was back leased to the Springfield, Missouri headquarter fleet. Carla remembers that cab over well. Right. He didn't realize until he took a shower. I had a humongous bruise on my leg. And he said, what's that for? I said, I told you the door handle keeps hitting. He reached over there and yanked that door handle off and turned it around and slapped it back on and <laughs> tried to put a towel on it to keep, but it didn't help because even the front of my knees were hitting the front because there's, with no air ride, you're stationary and you'd hit the bumps and your knees would hit the dash. And it was it was much nicer with his later trucks. <laughs> yeah. when, the kids, when the kids were born, um, they were still little. When he started Prime, I want to say Ashley was in kindergarten, maybe kindergarten or first grade, one of the two. And they each went out on the road with them. So with my son and scouts, uh, he got to get all his little patches from all the states. And my daughter stayed out with him and she had a good time. He took her to the beach and Six Flags in Texas. And so they got to have a good time when they went out with dad. And they got older and got into sports and stuff, and that kind of stopped. But uh, it was it was definitely different. This year's fuel price shock delivered different things to different people. The Horax, for instance, running very late model aerodynamic equipment, hauling relatively light loads as much as possible, beat Prime's fleet average fuel mileage by a couple and more miles per gallon, meaning they're banking a good portion of the fuel surcharge earned on every mile. For others, Calculations were somewhat different, and as spot markets softened throughout the year, pushing a broker up to an adequately profitable rate got more difficult for many than in the couple of boom years preceding. Number six in the podcast countdown took us straight into such calculations with multiple guests explaining bulk buying and fuel card strategies, including, again, Jason Callan of Silver Creek Transportation, as well as National Association of Small Trucking Companies President David Owen. We spoke to the difficult dynamics at play in fuel markets this spring. So, $500 a day problem for a trucking company. So, if you don't have some kind of deal, or trucking diesel, and I, you know, all of my stuff starts back, starts with Genesis and, and works its way through the Old Testament. But um, the EPA is responsible for a lot of what's going on with fuel. The EPA, for the last 50 years, 
has made it impossible for us to build refineries. And by that I mean they've made it so hard to make a refinery profitable that nobody's building any. And um, so that's one problem. There's no, it doesn't make any difference what kind of fuel we, uh, is demanded. If we don't have the refinery capacity to refine it, we hit upon a shortage and our reserves, according to, me, according to what I read, stockpiles of refined diesel is at its lowest level since 2014. <laughs> Let's say that you've got, uh, whether you're at the truck stop level or the oil company level or the wholesale fuel level, whatever fuel level you are, and you've got X number of barrels of fuel or an X number of gallons of refined fuel to sell, and the price, the wholesale price goes up, you know, 50 cents in a day. Well, don't you think, well, maybe I should hoard some of this lower price diesel and wait for the price to come back down because I'm going to have to replace it with fuel that's 50 cents higher. Right. And guess what? I'm going to have to raise my prices. Right. And if I raise my prices too far, I lose my business. You know, people go somewhere else. So it, 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 people just don't understand that all of that, and where we are now, because of all the decisions that have been mostly by government, um, we're getting ready to really have a supply crunch. At the same time, when we're coming out of the COVID crisis, big so huge demand right now, pent up demand. People want to get out and buy stuff. People and they can't get it, you know. And it, it, it's affecting everything. It's, it su affects the supply chain. And I don't know whether it's a cause or an effect of the disruption. It's hard to know. The, then the we got the war in Ukraine. So globally, oh, panic mode. Right? Everybody's yeah. trying to yeah. scrap around and say, "Where am I going to get my oil?" And, uh, and uh, you know, we can't fight wars without oil. Right. We can't feed the world without oil. And yet it seems like our central government is doing every damn thing they can to, uh, to vilify the whole oil industry and think that they can just turn the switch and everybody's going to be riding a bicycle or a goat or an electric vehicle. It just makes so so much more sense to me. Number one, to recognize, quit vilifying people like me. I don't, I'm not against the world being cleaner. Yeah, yeah, I've always been for that. But let's don't try to just eliminate the yeah. use of fossil fuel until we've got something to replace it with. I'm for spending money on research. Incentivize re incentivize the. Efficiency, in sure. Time, right? Inci I mean, it incentivizes us to build a, a refinery. It's exasperating to me, and I and and, it, and it's not. It doesn't affect us much because trucking, believe it or not, learned their lesson two thousand seven through two thousand ten. They came up with what is fuel surcharges. Yeah. So up to a point, they can get the consumer or the end user or the shipper to at least to help absorb some of the rise in cost of fuel and still make a profit. 
When it gets to the point though, when they can't make a profit, guess what? They, they park their truck. 30 Trucks Silver Creek Transportation wasn't there when our conversation took place. Very early on after Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the big price shock that ripped through fuel markets. Here he is later in that same podcast describing his dual bulk buy and fuel card strategy. One achievable in various forms by one truck owner operators too, as David Owen later pointed out. Sometimes long-term bulk contracts backfire though. As Cohen notes happened to him in 2020. We contracted our fuel, you know, for the first of the year thinking, well, you know, we've got a pretty good deal. And then, you know, COVID hits, the world shuts down, fuel goes, you know, 70 cents cheaper. And, and so then you're like, wow, you just got to ride it out, you know. So our strategy that year was we hadn't bought it for the entire year. So, you know, we were able to hold the contract until we had to, hoping, you know, that through the year it would come back up. You're not hoping, but you know, through the year it would come back into play. And so, you know, you learn... You're buying, you're buying uh, bulk for delivery. Um, are you are you buying under that same contract when you're out on the road? Well, on the road, we have a contract with our fuel card vendor okay. and that gives you uh, a discount. And, you know, uh, to us, it's one of those things where I think as long for small carriers, you have to realize what is the benefit of having it bulk versus out on the road if you if you always use a fuel card and your drivers pay attention and go where your discounts are you're probably just as well off up to a certain size just to use the fuel card and then once you you know you have to put the you know put the pencil to it and once you get to buying so many tanker loads per month then it makes more sense to have it here a lot of times to have it here is really convenient though you know they can fuel and be gone and, and don't have to worry about buying on the road or that kind of stuff. So, uh, we, we're, we're probably out of our trucks, maybe seven, seven, eight of them are local all the time. So, you know, that makes it really like this guy, you know, it's really handy and uh, he can, you know, they don't have to stop anywhere, you know, they can just do their thing. So those are, you know, it's like everything else. You have to put the pencil to it and see what, I guess one of the things for us about the trucking business is you have to be the businessman first and then you're the trucker second you know, because you have to do what makes sense in business if you want to stay <laughs> in that very priority business first driving second to modify jason cohen's formulation just a bit that business first priority dominated an, an informal discussion that aired on the podcast following our march partners in business seminar introducing the updated edition of the owner operator business manual we've long co-produced with the tax specialists and business consultants at atbs this number five episode of the podcast countdown explored two, the motivation of independence all around trucking with Rayshon Lucas, who you hear starting in what follows. Joining in the discussion two are Overdrive's own Gary Bucks and at the very end of the clip, ATBS Vice President Mike Hostet. Motivation toward better business, it turns out, often enough has a quality of life goal in mind for the end result. Here's owner operator Lucas. I focus on driver first and insulation and making sure that the company is stable because it doesn't make sense for me to pay the driver as much as I can and then I've given him most of my profits and then the, the company is out of business two weeks later and he has to go find somewhere else to work. So it's a maintaining that, that balance and I do that through uh, negotiation of rates. I have a formula that I uh, calculate my fuel, my miles, and 
what to ask for before I go to a broker so I can say, hey, this is what I want. And it's based on a worst case scenario, my worst case scenario. I have a break even, a worst case scenario, and if they come close to the number that I'm asking for, I'm still winning. I came up with, a, I mentioned that first year, I basically broke even and I turned to my wife and I said, Marsha, this is gonna be a short-lived business experience <laughs> if I don't change something in a hurry. And what I came up with is a little bit different, I think, in that every load, I calculated the profit separately. And if and every load had to turn a profit, my pay profit, or I wouldn't haul, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't gonna move just to generate gross revenue and lose money on that gross revenue. And we have a lot of people that transition, unfortunately, and they're so used to, I gotta drive more miles. If you mm-hmm. ask someone, hey, what did you earn? They talk about their gross. Look at every major, these major corporations. Has Amazon ever turned a profit? I don't think it has. You know, billions and billions of dollars. They've never turned a profit. It's a great investment, I gotta mm. tell you. But, but the point being is um, setting a realistic way to measure profit. I recommend, and I've done a lot of research in business reading, taking like a 10 to 15% of what you have invested in the contract. In other words, for every dollar you have invested in that contract, mm. not what the contract pays, you want 10 to, you know, you want a hundred to one hundred fifty dollar return profit above all expenses, including the driver, the benefits, everything, to return to the company. That's what I'm. Thinking. And if you are the, your president of your company, and you're on that salary, that's not on the profit side being paid. That's got to be. That's got to be on the expense side. That's what drivers, small drivers, I think, have trouble understanding. As a company driver, you're instilled in miles because they don't offer percentage to the, the owner-operator. I mean, not the, not the owner-operator, but the company driver. So a lot of people, when they see how many miles and how much work they're putting in and how much they can gross, if they only had their own truck, they're taking that same um, mentality to the owner-operator business, and some of them have a really, really hard time um, getting a good foothold in the door. That's why you see cheap rates that get snatched up. Oh, this is more than 50 cent a mile. This is more than 70 cent a mile. So what you're seeing now is a shift of mentality. Now it's advantageous for me to run less miles and try to maximize my revenue through negotiations, contracts, and all that stuff so that I can make sure that I'm not overworking myself so much to the point that I don't have a quality of life. So you're seeing the, the people come in, they want more of a quality of life, better pay, and they're going independent. And one of the drivers for going independent may be something minute, but it's big to us. Respect. Yeah. yeah. And the, respect the, and freedom. Respect and freedom. A lot of major truck companies don't have time to invest in these relationships right. with each driver, so they're mechanical. Yeah. They don't they're emotionless and you're just a number. And so they don't have the respect factor, they don't have the focus that they need on the driver. On overdrive radio. Regulatory discussion is never far away, and in the years since the ELD mandate came down in late 2017, early 2018, chief on the minds of many owner-operators have been FMCSA's hours of service rules. Tweaked once since then to introduce a measure of flexibility for the 14-hour daily driving window with split sleeper enhancements, among other things. In June, 
couple we've heard on this podcast in years past petitioned the FMCSA for an hours of service exemption that presented an interesting prospect. Owner operator Lee Schmidt and his wife and business partner Lisa sought exemption for Lee from adhering to the daily 14 hour window as well as the requirement to take a 10 hour break after driving 11 hours. In effect, the Schmitts were asking to be limited only by the 11-hour driving maximum in any 24-hour daily period. We talked through it all in the number four most listened to podcast of 2022. And the story of what spawned the exemption request stretched straight back to protests in Washington, D.C. around the ELD mandate. Here's Lee calling back to discussions with regulators at that time. You know, I could care less if I had 10 hours to drive. Let me do it how I want. Right. I, I looked at Joe and Bill and whoever else was there. I said, I would almost bet if you walked down there to everybody that's parked on Constitution Avenue, if you said, all right, guys, we're going to keep the ELD, but I'll tell you what, you're only going to be allowed to run 10 hours in a 24-hour period, but you can do it how you want. What do you think? I looked at him and I said, I bet you almost 99% of us would say yes and leave. Right. I said, the biggest problem is the 14-hour clock. I said, if you get rid of that, I don't care what we have to drive. That would eliminate a lot of issues with a lot of things. I said, drivers would not stop, uh, wouldn't have to be fighting over a split sleeper, and they would stop when they wanted to because you don't have a clock sitting in your face. I said, there's a lot of benefits to it. Oh, that'll never fly. That will never fly. And I've been, we've been talking about this for years that there's got to be a way to get this in. We've got to figure out how to word it and do everything right so that we can get to the Federal Register. The Schmitz did get to the Federal Register, inspiring other somewhat similar exemption requests later in the year. The Schmitz request, nonetheless, was later denied by FMCSA on grounds that they hadn't provided sufficient proof of ability to achieve the same level of safety, but they planned to make another go at it. Here's what they hoped might be the ultimate result. Real, substantial change in hours of service for flexibility based on proven experience and proven safety, of which Lee has decades now. Here's Lisa Schmidt summing it up. We get it denied. We're going to... Reapply. Reapply. Yeah, we're going to adjust our exemption request to handle whatever the denial's for. And then if it's approved... There's no reason for others not to get it. And at some point, with data specifically from the COVID, you know, exemption that's been going on for two years, why can't we do it some kind of a tiered system or um, incentivize safety? You know, someone that has a proven record should be able to make their own decision. Part of that podcast also remembered an owner-operator gone much too soon. Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole out at the Big Super Rigs event in Branson, Missouri this year learned that a well-known custom truck builder and longtime owner-operator, Troy Huddleston, had passed. With the help of the many owners showing there who knew Troy, Cole assembled a big group who offered their appreciation of the owner. Here's the well-considered words of one among Troy Huddleston's trucking family. I'd like to say a little something about my good friend, Mr. Troy. My name is Bubba Branch out of Lakeland, Florida. My company is Atlas Heavy Hall. If I had a word to describe Mr. Troy, it would be uh, encouraging. Uh, he was very encouraging all the time for me. That's one of the reasons why we're here today. Um, he talked to me about showing this truck, and it was I'd always doubt myself, and he'd always hear me 
And he always correct me about that and tell me to stop doing that. And he'd tell you why you shouldn't do it. And uh, I, I just have to say, uh, you know, we the first time I met him, we were in Wildwood, Florida at the truck show there. I was parked next to him, not in his class. I could never have, have attained that uh, that high. But he was uh, he was there and uh, he spent hours talking to me and uh, and it, like he had known me forever. And that was where our friendship began there. And we exchanged numbers and all the way from from buying English Bulldogs to trucking. That's that's what we talked about. And uh, um, uh, but the things I can tell you about him was when we would talk about family and he would bring up Miss Huddleston and his girls and his family period. He would just light up. I mean, he was a he's a wonderful man and a great father. And he thought the world of his, of, of his family and his friends. And this is part of his family, too, all of us. And, and we knew that he made that very clear to us. And we know we never second guessed that. It didn't matter what time of day or night it was. If you needed him, you could always call him. And uh, oh man, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, that's just we love him. We're gonna miss him. And uh, he'll 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 and he is he is our legend. He'll always live forever. Troy Huddleston will no doubt be missed. Number three in the podcast countdown. More in the way of regulatory discussion with the Trucker Nation Advocacy Group's Andrea Marks in the wake of FMCSA's entry-level driver training rule. Marks offered plenty of what she called quote-unquote unpopular opinions about what various critics of the rule in the trucking community were saying as it went into effect in early February. So prior to February 7th, trainers could have their, their CDL for five minutes yeah. and be a trainer. Now they have to have at minimum two years of experience. Their CDL can't be suspended. You know, there's a whole host of requirements. That's two years better than prior to February 7th. I think it should be stricter, if you want me to be honest. But, a, lot, a lot of people do as well. A lot of people, yeah. people have heard from as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it should be 10 years. Let's see. The second biggest issue that folks brought up is they want training to be longer. That was actually not, I mean, it is addressed in training, but it's addressed in training, not in a minimum number of, of hours requirement, which I think is a great thing. Training is proficiency based. If you need more time, you get more time. Because you have to prove your proficiency. If you don't need more time and you can cruise through training in, you know, a couple of days because you can tick off all the boxes, then you're fine. Okay. And there are going to be people that can do that. But there are okay. also going to be people that can't do that. Okay. And, you know, what I hear, here's, here's what I hear. And this is what really just gets in my craw is... The people that are like, well, I learned from my dad or I learned from an old timer. I learned, you know, this, that, the other. Well, I'm so thankful for that. I learned old school. Okay. Well, you don't have, no, you don't have to go take the training over again. You already have your CDL. So this doesn't even apply to you. So quit losing your mind. Two, um, Learning from an old timer shouldn't be the only way into the trucking industry, nor should it be perceived as the superior ticket into the trucking industry. If there is one way that we need to be leveling the playing field, which is this, you know, uh, this 
hot ticket term, right. training is where we need to do it. So, you know, what about that inner city kid that sits on an overpass at night and wants to be a truck driver more than anything in the world, but, right. you know, that has never driven a truck in his life, but knows that that's what he wants to do. Yeah, may not have, like, may not have the old timer uh, uh, anywhere yeah, nearby. Might not have that old timer in his life. Yep. Like growing up on a farm and learning from your dad is not the superior way into the trucking industry. It never will be. And I it don't want to hear that it is one way, it is not the superior way. Finally, both the number two and ultimately the number one most listened to podcasts of the year are all about. What else? Bedrock owner-operator business concerns. With number two dropping with Overdrive contributor and longtime owner-operator Gary Books at the Walcott Truckers Jamboree in Iowa. Bucks spoke at length to the psychology underpinning business ownership and the motivation owners bring to trucking. And, given where he was when we spoke, the value of networking and recharging, so to speak, among peers at events like the Jamboree at Iowa 80 and Walcott. That is one of the great benefits to people uh, who attend an event like this. Uh, if you're a trucker or a trucker family, uh, you know, in the business, uh, whatever business you're in, the, to attend an event like this or Louisville, you know, these things, they are great ways not only to learn, to meet people, to just socialize, but it can become that, that motivation to make that move that you've talked about or thought about for even years to improve in your business because that self-accountability that's something that I find that uh, I've become for the people I work with is sort of a not just sort of an accountability partner hey I need to catch up my bookkeeping well guess what Within a couple of days, they send me a note and say, hey, um, got it caught up after talking to you. Because that, <laughs> they, it's, that, it's that accountability, someone, it's like my wife, you know, Marcia, you know, she holds me accountable there quite sure. often, I should say. It, it's part of the psychology. So nope. I talked to several people who had gotten a truck, had an accident, got put out of business. Uh, because of the hardship or Mm -hmm. started their business and failed, but they were there with the personal instinct and drive to pursue that path again. To come back and and acknowledge, right. Acknowledging uh, the mistakes they made, you know, the odds of success in small business, whatever it is, first time are pretty slim to be honest um and that's one of the things that i want to encourage people to recognize is uh but going to these shows like this if you get to talk to these people that's what gives you the motivation to get better finally when my long talk with 2021 named owner operator of the year brian smith aired in early 2022 listeners really took to smith's level-headed take on trucking as an owner operator generally for me, his considered advice for those considering making the jump to truck ownership stands out most brightly from the podcast. 
We followed into consideration the multiple million safe mile owner operators shared about his potential early retirement. And a bit of a joke that he made about what he called the biggest difficulty he'd faced in life over the road and being away from so much of his family's home life. To cap off the year, everyone, here's Brian Smith. Right. So not, not necessary, I suppose, for me to be out here full time. Right. I kind of like it. And, you know, the money's certainly handy. Yep. Um, thinking about retiring early anyway, even if I stick with this, stick it out. Right. Uh, I don't know. Those are all just kind of plans up in the air. You go wait till all the kids move out and then stay at home like I should have when they were there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Advice for owner operators coming up, though. If I was going to talk to someone who's thinking about becoming an owner operator, I guess, first of all, I would say drive a company truck first. Learn the industry, learn trucks, and then get an idea of what you want to do before you get yourself into, you know, large amounts of debt and the risk involved with that. Check all your expenses, you know, health insurance and things like that can be very expensive on your own. Um, All the other benefits that might come with being a company driver that you would not get as an owner operator, Um, even workman's comp or something, you know, what, what if something did happen to you, could you pay for that truck payment if you got injured, you know, for the next month or two? I would say learn mechanical and electrical, you know, at least the basics of it. You know, learn how to turn a wrench, learn, learn how to fix a wire that rubbed through, how to change a light on your own, you know, all that little stuff. Learn how to change a fuel filter if you're gelled up on the side of the road um, in the wintertime. Get some, some mechanical idea because it is very expensive to have things worked on. And if it's something that's easy that you could have done yourself, you know, you could save 100, some 100 plus dollars an hour of labor cost doing it yourself. Um, and that's that's only been getting uh, getting uh, more and more expensive for sure in recent times, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And I would say, at least in my opinion and my experience, I would rather work with a reputable company like Least On than I would deal with like random brokers and things like that. Now, if you found good brokers and you could do it by yourself, that's fine. Or, or if you Better yet, find a, if you wanted to just go out on your own, get your own authority, if you could find at least a main customer that's willing to give you a steady, at least one-way route, and then, uh, you know, if you, even if you had to take random stuff back, um, that would be the way to do that. But to just strike out and say, I'll just find whatever load is out there from whoever has it, you know, you may or may not get paid. If you want to do something specialized, like, the big oversized, the heavy haul, the um, mm-hmm. hazard, hazardous materials, stuff like that. I would say get some experience in that first. Right. Don't just strike out with your hazmat tanker and think that you're going to you know, figure it out as you go. Here's a happy new year and an absolutely huge thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you in 2023. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive the voice of the American trumpet. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker songwriter and overdrive contributor, Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man by Marhofer, featuring the guitar work of Travis, the snake man himself, Lamech, Terry Two Socks Richardson on bass, keys by Tishmingo Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Mr. Andrew Marshall. 
podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor, Matt Cole, social media coordinator, Holly Young, executive editor, Alex Lockie, and intrepid video editors, Lawson Rudisell and Andrew Wood. Overdrive Radio is sponsored by Howes. You can find them at Howes, that's H-O-W-E-S, HowesProducts.com. Don't miss it.